It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everyone. we got a great one for you today here on this Friday, January 21st, as we look to preview UFC 257 Poirier versus McGregor 2, which will take place this Saturday at the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi. And it's good to be back with all you guys. Uh, very busy week here for the UFC. Three cards in uh, eight days. And, uh, you know, it's 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 good to get to the big enchilada here on Saturday. And, uh, you know, we got a lot to talk about here. Some pretty interesting news about a couple of people who are no longer on the card. And, uh, you know, some new matchups and, and things like that. And uh, should be should be a fun one here. Uh, just very quickly for uh, some of the housekeeping here pertaining to the main card showdown and uh, updated UFC rankings. So we have the updated rankings as of uh, yesterday uh, following uh, UFC Fight Night Kiesa versus Magny. I uh, just wanted to briefly go over them. Uh, so we moved Michael Kiesa two spots from eight to six, and then Damian Maya and Tyron Woodley both drop one spot, so they now occupy the seventh and eighth spots. Um, let's see, flyweight, we had a couple of changes. So Matt Schnell, he wins. He goes from 10 to 9. Dvorak falls from uh, 10 to 9. Or excuse me, t- 9 to 10. Uh, Sue Madarji, because of his win, he goes from 15 to 13. And then Tyson Nam and Jordan Espinoza both drop a spot to 14 and 15. And let's see. Yep, and then the women's flyweight division, Viviani Araujao, uh wins. She goes from 9 to 7. And Calderwood and Mata Ferry both drop a spot they're now at eight and nine and yep that's all we have for uh ufc rankings changes uh should have a handful of them following ufc 257 uh definitely going to be some changes in the pound for pound rankings i'll tell you that much because we have uh mcgregor who's at 13 and poirier who's at 15 so somebody's somebody's not going to be on that list on saturday i think the loser is just off of the pound for pound rankings uh, in general, so you know that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, and then we got the uh, main card showdown January World Grand Prix uh, tomorrow, and it's going to be me and Steve Young. So that will be interesting. I mean, this guy, you know, he's kind of taken over the the sport by storm, uh, and uh, I don't know, 2-0. and He doesn't have a knockout, though, so that is, you know, a knock against him. But, uh, you know, just totally dismantled Drew, the locomotive Peterson. I mean, you know, just, you know, dominant victory for Steve. So, you know, he, he's now 2-0. and He's the number one contender. He'll be taking on uh, the mailman in the gold medal match, and I got to beat him. I got to beat him. He is my dad. So I'm going to put this guy out to pasture, and I, I predict a knockout. I predict a knockout, and that's not going to be easy because he uh, does a lot of research on these picks. He's not like these uh, money line betters or just people who pick randomly in the main card showdown. So, you know, 
I, I got my groove back late in uh, 2020, and you know I'm just kind of keeping it going here, looking to go three and zero in uh, eight days. You know what I mean? So uh, it's gonna be another title defense, something that you know Drew doesn't have. You know I got eight of them, and uh, I think I have like I think I have like four different title streaks where I have at least one defense. Uh, yep, I have four different times I've had a title reign that has at least one. Uh, two of them had two and then one had three which is uh you know it's the record it's the record but you know drew is taking on captain for the bronze so i mean that is something that drew has going for him he has had a medal in every single world grand prix so that'd be four straight that he would have a medal in you know three of them would be bronzes but he does have a gold so he's he would be uh tied for second with jordan for the most golds assuming assuming i win then I guess it would be a three-way tie. Um, so, yeah, you know, he, he's staying in there. Uh, I don't know, man. Captain kind of cooled off. You know, I put a beating on him. I, I put a beating on him. You know, PETA might have to get called from for, for what I did to Captain in the main card showdown. So, um, you know what I mean? I, I do expect Drew to get the win. I do expect him to get the win. I'd be, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get the win. Uh, but you never know, man. I mean, crazy stuff happens here in the main card showdown. That's why the people tune in. So... You know, that'll be interesting. Uh, they've never faced each other before. So it's interesting. I mean, we, we've had a lot of new matchups, a lot of new people come in. And, uh, you know, I've never taken on Steve, and he's never taken on Captain. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, in the uh, main card showdown Invitational Grand Prix, we have Pip taking on Francis. Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, we kind of know what Pip is. You know, he's 4-3. and three. You know, kind of a guy who wins one loses one but you know he's competitive he stays in there and uh francis i mean we don't really know one appearance okay he made his debut in the invitational grand prix and one knockout so francis the wrfw legend he has a 100 percent finishing rate so i don't know man that's that might spell danger for pip that might spell danger for him and he's our second competitor from wisconsin so you know, we'll see how that goes, and then the rest of the people, I mean, I don't fucking, I don't know, man, we'll get matchups for everybody, but I don't know who's in, we had like fucking 12 people not compete last week, so maybe Jordan's in there, maybe he's not, I contacted Reagan, he'll probably be in there, who knows, I might even talk to, to Jimmy Sturmey and uh, get him in there, so, you know, you never know, uh, Graham Poo's gonna be in there, Jerry's gonna be in there, um, I'm talking about people who are not in the in either Grand Prix, I'd say Bree will probably be in there. So we'll have a handful of people. Peyton's probably in there. Peyton needs a win. That dude's two and five. That is, that is foul. But uh, yeah, no, it'll be it'll be a good one. We'll have uh, we'll have plenty of matchups uh, on uh, on Saturday. So with that, let's get right into uh, the preview here of UFC 257 Poirier versus McGregor, and we will start here with the prelim opener. It's going to be a flyweight fight between Amir Albazi and Zalgas Zumagulov. Albazi is 13 and 1, Zumagulov is 13 and 4. Uh, these odds coming from Odds Shark, they will have uh, Zumagulov as the minus 120 favorite, Albazi as the minus 110 favorite. So, fucking, it's a pick 'em. It's a pick 'em. I don't know how they make money on that, but uh, whatever. And, uh, 
I don't know. Uh, the winner of this is probably in the ranking, so I'll just start there. Um, you know, the flyweight rankings are just disgusting. Uh, and, and not only is the winner probably in the rankings, but I don't know, man, they're probably like number 12 or number 13. So I don't know. This is a this is a pretty big fight. It shouldn't be. It should not be. But uh, it, it, it probably is. So, uh, yeah, Albazi 13 and 1, 27. And uh, he, he did win his UFC debut. He choked out Malcolm Gordon. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know. So there's no there's no UFC jitters there for Albazi. Uh, Zuma Gulov, uh, he actually lost his uh, debut to Holly and Paiva uh, back in July at UFC 251. Um, he, he does have a fair amount of, of uh, notable wins uh, at, at the lower levels at, at Fight Night Global. So he has a, a win over Ali Bogatinov, who I believe fought Demetrius Johnson for the, the flyweight belt. Or maybe I'm confusing him with another another Russian. But I could have swore... No, he took on Demetrius. So former former UFC title challenger, uh, a win over Tagir Ulanbekov, who's in the UFC, a win over Tyson Nam, who's in the UFC. So, you know, Holly and Paiva, maybe a little bit too much for him. But... Uh, yeah, I, I like Zuma Gulov in this one. I don't think Albazi's a bad fighter, and from what I can remember, I I uh, I, I was impressed by his performance uh, back at UFC 251. But I think Zuma Gulov has taken uh, on tougher competition, and uh, you know, also he's from uh, he's from uh, let's see here, yeah, Kazakhstan. I, that's what I thought. So he's from Kazakhstan. So uh, I don't know, man. It's tough for me to go against Kazakhstani fighters. I mean, it's it's glorious Kazakhstan. Once again, uh, we saw this on uh, the Wednesday card with, um, oh shit, who was the Kazakhstani fighter? Damn it, I'm blanking on it. But this guy trains at Erkin Kush as well. So, you know what I mean? That's that's a little nod to our, our, our uh, 420 friendly friends. So, you know, we got to go with Zalgis Zumagulov on this one. All right, moving on here. Uh, we have a 150-pound catchweight between Nick Lentz and Movsar Evloev. Uh, Lentz is 30-11-2. Evloev is 13-0. Uh, Evloev is the minus 600 favorite. Uh, that uh, some people might call that a big, a big spread. Uh, yeah, I'm obviously going with Movsar on this one, but I don't know if I don't know if it should be minus 600. I mean, I guess it's not what the real odds are it's you know a lot of money comes in on one fighter the odds change so it's not you know just straight up what they think the odds are they're trying to get people to to put money on Lentz uh and and things like that but I don't know man I wouldn't count Nick Lentz out I mean first of all he's from Minnesota so you know this guy is you know a fucking superstar okay he's also a golden gopher as well you know what I mean so this guy is just an elite athlete from a winning school with a rich tradition, <coughs> excuse me, a rich tradition of, you know, dominance in sports. Uh, Andy is it? He's a UFC vet. So, I mean, he, he is on a two fight losing streak, but it is to Charles Oliveira and Arnold Allen. Uh, man, those are two pretty fucking good fighters, man. I'm not going to lie. And the wins before that are Scott Holtzman, who I think is very underrated, and uh, Gray Maynard. And, you know, that one, okay. I mean, he's definitely washed. It's definitely washed. So, you know, it's he's had some tough matchups and he's lost them. But, uh, you know, he also has a handful of wins in the UFC. And I, I think he's uh, not someone to be overlooked. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, all that said, I am going with Evloev on uh, on this one. He's 3-0 and in the UFC. Very impressive. Um, all by unanimous decision as well. So again, like I, like I say, it's great to get the early knockout, but that is something I do look at. If you're winning a lot of fights by unanimous decision... I think it's pretty safe to bet on you in the future because you're not just knocking someone out and winning a specific moment. You're winning a series of moments and getting a, a decision victory. So, you know, obviously a lot of people would prefer the finish, but from a consistency standpoint and from a, a projection standpoint, I think it's it's safer than looking at a knockout artist on a three-fight winning streak against shit competition. You know, when, when you're winning these decisions, I, 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 tend, to, I tend to prioritize that. So... We'll go Evloev on this one. All right, moving on here. Uh, we have a light heavyweight prelim between Khalil Roundtree and Marcin Prachnio. Roundtree is 8-4. Prachnio is 13-5. and five. Take a look at the uh, odds here. They will have Roundtree as the minus 340 favorite. And... Uh, yeah, this one this one's interesting because I don't know what to make of uh, Khalil Roundtree. Uh, he'll have a spectacular win, and then he'll just get dusted in his next fight. So I don't know what Roundtree we're getting. I mean, Khalil Roundtree at his best is I don't want to say a title contender, but like I don't know, man. At his best, he's a top ten fighter. You know, if he could string together some consistency, I think that's a guy who could be in the rankings and, and do some things. But man, he just has these weird fucking losses. Um, so I don't know. Obviously, uh, a very powerful fighter. I mean, this guy has a lot of power, uh, and, and and he's a big boy. But you know, just susceptible to the to the finish. I think Krasnyo is probably a good matchup for him. I don't I don't think uh, you know too many people are are concerned with Prachnio finishing them he's 0-3 in the UFC and he's been knocked out in the first round uh, in every single fight so if I had to guess I'd say we're probably going to get the good version of Khalil Roundtree uh, so I don't know but the fi- uh, honestly the finish is possible for either fighter I would just heavily, heavily favorite uh, heavily favor excuse me Khalil Roundtree in this one uh, I just think this one is uh toss up here you know just they're, they're trying to they're trying to get Roundtree to hit a home run here so they're just going to underhand this one and uh I don't know probably could be knockout of the night very easily could be knockout of the night because uh you know when uh when Prochneo gets knocked out it's it's typically in uh, spectacular fashion uh his his last fight against uh, Mike Slow Rodriguez did not go good that was a fucking hellacious elbow so yeah I I, I think it's probably safe to say Roundtree wins this one all right, we're moving on here on the prelims. We have a bantamweight fight between Sarah McMahon and Juliana Pena. McMahon is 12 and 5. Pena is 9 and 4. Take a look at the odds here. They will have uh, Sarah McMahon as the minus 135 favorite. I don't know, man. I, I like to see. Oh, excuse me. I. Uh... Oh, no. My computer just fucking flipped out. I was going to pull up. Uh the rankings here i'll try to pull that up uh in a second because i know these two fighters are uh ranked and i believe mcmahon is somewhere in the top 10 as i try to uh pull up the list here and we'll take a look yep mcmahon is sitting at number nine pena is sitting at five so 
I don't know. There's definitely a winner you, you, you want in this fight, okay, if you're the UFC, because this 135 division is just gross. It's stagnant. It's the same old fighters. It's the same old Pennington, Durandamy, uh, Holm, you know, fighters like this. There's no young talent in that division except for Aspen Ladd. Um, so it's one of the worst divisions in the UFC. Uh, and, uh, man, if Sarah McMahon wins this one, I mean, Sarah McMahon is never going to work her way back to the title. She's 40 years old. Um, not, I, I would imagine her numbers are super, super low. Uh, she's a good fighter, but I don't think anybody cares to watch her fight. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you're going to want Pena to win this fight, okay? 31 years old. Uh, she is sitting at number five. I, I don't believe she's ever had a title fight. So, you know, that that could be some fresh uh, meat in the division for Amanda Nunes. I mean, Amanda Nunes is going to beat whoever the fuck they put in front of her. It doesn't matter if it's Pena and Ladd combined. But, f- dude, I might physically harm myself if I have to see Holly Holm get another title shot. I, I might nosedive. I might dolphin dive off my fucking two-story building and just end it all if I have to see Holly Holm in another title fight. This division is just, you know, sometimes it's good to have a dominant champion, but sometimes it just fucking destroys a division. And Amanda Nunes has destroyed this division. division. Uh, And uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, what else is she supposed to do? Lose? You know what I mean? So good for her. I mean, you know, she's one of the most dominant champions of all time. Um certainly the the female goat but you know there are repercussions that come with that and uh you know it's not having a single opponent to fight um or a single opponent that anybody gives a fuck about so i would imagine her pay- her pay-per-views are historically low um I-, I think she has the from ufc 200 to 250 i'm like 100 percent sure she has the worst pay-per-view uh, in there, that UFC 224 with her in Pennington, I, dude, I think it did something. Oh man, it, the the buys were just astronomically low, so, you know, whatever. I I think, man, I don't, I'm I'm gonna go with Pena on this one. It's just, I don't know, man. She she's has one win in her last three fights. Uh, she's been choked out. Uh, and you know what? Fuck it. I'm going with Sarah McMahon, and I know that's not the answer that people want. But fuck it, man. She is a she is a silver medalist in in wrestling, and I know she's 40. And I do like the change over to Team Alpha Male, um, and that's that seemed to work in her last fight. This is, stylistically, this is not a good matchup for Pena. Um, like I said, uh, two of her last three fights were submission losses. The one win in there is over Nico Montano, who I mean. That's an Invicta fighter. And uh, she does have a nice victory over Katzengano, but fuck, that was nearly five years ago. That was back at UFC 200. Okay, well, four and a half years ago. But um, so I don't know, man. And she's been pretty high up there in the rankings for for doing nothing. So if she loses, she's going to fall pretty far. It's just, I don't know, man. That, that's, that would be one of the worst things to happen in this division outside of, you know, the, the fights at the top to have a 40-year-old fighter surging, quote-unquote, but... Yeah, I think McMahon probably gets it done. She looked good in her last fight against uh, Lena Landsberg. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Not a whole lot of 40-year-old fighters, you know, still doing stuff at the top of their division, let alone 40-year-old female fighters at a lower weight class. Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't feel good about picking McMahon, but uh, I, I think I have to.
All right, we're moving on here to the, well, co-main event of the prelim. Got a little ahead of myself there, but uh, we have a middleweight fight here between Brad Tavares and Antonio Carlos Jr. Tavares is 17-6. and six. Uh, Carlos Jr. is 10-4. and four. Uh, We'll take a look here at the odds. They will have uh, Brad Tavares as the minus 140 favorite. And we'll take a look here at the North Star Sports rankings. And they will not have Brad Tavares in the rankings. Okay. Um, we, we've, dude, he's been in, in and out of our rankings. And we've only done rankings for like eight months. But he's been in and out of the middleweight division so many fucking times. Somebody loses, he's in. Somebody wins, he's out. He, he might have been in and out four times. But now that we have Hamzat Chemaev and Kevin Holland... Uh, in the middleweight division, and Chris Weidman got a win over Rakhmetov. He just kind of got phased out. Um, definite gatekeeper, definite gatekeeper. Um, but I, I think he, I think he gets the win here. I think he does. Well-rounded fighter. He's not too old. He's, he's 33 years old, and he does have two losses uh, in in his last two fights. But it's to it's to Izzy and uh, Edmund Shabazian, uh, whose steam is you know kind of fallen off there considerably but you know not that long ago he was beating the likes of uh theodoru and and christoph jotko and and talis latis so um i don't know i think people had a lot of a lot of expectations for uh shoe face antonio carlos jr but he's also on a two-fight losing streak uh to, to decent fighters uriah hall and and ian heinish um I gotta be honest. I don't know a whole ton about either of these guys um, stylistically. I I don't I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to their fights, but uh, I, I think uh, Tavares has has been higher up in the rankings. And you know, again, <clears throat> he he's just kind of a gatekeeper. I mean, he'll he'll always float around those rankings. You know what I mean? So if he's not in the rankings, he's gonna win to get right up in contention. If and if he's in the rankings, he's gonna find a way to lose and get out of them. So. Uh, He's resilient in, in, in that respect, so I think I'll go Brad Tavares on this one. All right, moving on here to the featured prelim. It's a lightweight bout here between Armand Sarukian and Matt Frivola. Sarukian is 15-2, and two, Frivola is 8-1-1. One, one. Uh, we do not have odds for this one. Uh, because Sarukian was supposed to fight Nasrat Hakparast, which would have been a fucking great fight. You know, ridiculously stupid matchmaking, taking two elite prospects and putting them up against each other. For what it's worth, Sarukian would have been the minus 285 favorite against Hakparast. Um, I'm glad that fight fell through. I hope Nasrat is all right. I think it was something medical. But that was just stupid, stupid matchmaking. And uh, Matt Frivola was supposed to fight Otman Azaitar on the main card, but Otman Azaitar likes to, you know, sneak out of uh, sneak out of Fight Island and and swap wristbands and and shit like that. So he got cut from the UFC, which is fucking interesting. I mean, I can't blame him. I mean, you know, we have a bubble here to make sure everybody's safe, and you know, you deliberately go out of your way to, you know, compromise the bubble. Uh, that's a big loss. That is a big loss. Otman Azaitar is one of the better prospects out there. Uh, trying to find his record. Because um, who did he... He just beat... Um, what was it? Kama Worthy? Yeah, he just knocked out Kama Worthy. So, this was a guy who was 2-0 in the UFC. 
fucking slept Timu Paklin, who likes to get knocked out in vicious fashion, and then uh, slept Kama Worthy. I mean, 13-0, and 0, uh, you, you know what I mean? A big fighter in that region of the world uh, where we don't have a whole lot of Middle Eastern superstars, but Atman Azaitar, you know, he was 30 years old. Um, fuck, that's, that's a really big loss because, you know, if you beat Frivola, I don't know, man, maybe you take somebody take on somebody in the rankings or you know maybe you're still a fight away but I, I think uh you know a lot of people were really excited about Azaitar and and uh you know just because he made a stupid mistake doesn't mean he's not still an elite prospect he's you know he's still just as good of a fighter he just ain't doing it in the UFC and that's probably that's probably one of those offenses where he'll never be back you know what I mean like uh Josh no not Josh no it was Josh Koch checks opponent Oh, God damn it. Oh, Paul Daly. Yeah, Paul Daly. Like, Paul Daly will never be back. Not that we have to worry about that because he's losing plenty of fights over in Bellator. But, um, you know, if you punch an opponent after the bell, like five seconds after the bell in frustration, yeah, you're never coming back. Like, there's some, there's probably some offenses that uh, you're going to get released and maybe you can come back. Maybe you can come back in, in a couple of years. But uh, c- trying to compromise uh, a-, a bubble... I mean, he'll probably never be in the UFC. So I'll be curious to see where he goes. I mean, he fought over in Brave. So I guess it makes sense. And, uh, you know, he lives in uh, Germany and he's from, um, shoot, uh, Tunisia. So, you know, it makes sense that he goes back to Brave. Uh, I promise you they don't pay as much money as the UFC, or at least they don't. There's, there's not the potential of them paying as much money as the UFC once you get to a certain level. So, you know, does Bellator try to sign him? Does 1FC try to sign him? I don't know, man, but he's he's legitimately legitimately a good fighter. But, uh, yeah, I made a very, a very dumb mistake. So, getting back to the fight here, uh, I love Armand Sarukian. I think he will be a champ one day, and I've said that since his, his debut fight in the UFC. I, I love Armand Sarukian. Um, he debuted against Islam Makachev. Nobody, fucking nobody wants to fight Islam Makachev. That's why that dude has such a tough time finding a fight at 155 because you get nothing for beating him. He's just a really good fighter with an insane record. And if, if you lose to him, you get fucking nothing. You, you know, you, you, you drop a bunch of spots in the rankings and you lose money and sponsorships. And if you beat him, nobody gives a shit because he's never done anything. So... Sarukian, he loses a unanimous decision. I want to look that up on MMA decisions because I honestly, it was very close, but I I kind of thought Armand Sarukian won that fight. Uh, and, and and that's saying something. And maybe maybe he didn't. Maybe maybe he legitimately lost. But the the fact that he made the fight that close as a fucking twenty two year old, um, you know, that's insane. Now looking at the media scores, they had it. Majority 30-27 Makachev, a couple of 29-28 for Makachev. I completely fucking disagree with that one. I, I, I think you could have made the case that he won that 29-28. Um, or at the very least, he lost 29-28. Makachev did not win every round of that fight. But every round was competitive. So, I'm, you know, I've just been fascinated with this guy ever ever since then. Um, he had the win over Olivier Oban Mercier. And then a win over Davi Hamosh. Um during the first stretch of Fight Island. And Davi Hamosh, fuck. He's, you know, Armand Sarukian's had some real tough tests in the UFC. I mean, you know, OAM probably was the easiest fight, but, 
you know, a lot of people had some hype around that guy. Makachev's fucking tough. And Davi Hamosh is like a multiple-time IBJJF or whatever the... F- I forget all the fucking organizations. I'm not a BJJ guy, but he's a very accomplished, you know, gold medal winning, whatever the fuck all this is, you know, BJJ guy. So, like, that's that's really tough. And Sarukian is super well-rounded. I mean, he's he's good on the ground. He was taking Davi Hamosh down. And... Um, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's really good on the ground. I love his striking. I think he has uh, a solid amount of, uh, of power as well. And I just don't think that highly of uh, Matt Frivola. I've never been too impressed with, uh, with his performances. Uh, I was not impressed by his performance. Um, so, I don't know, man. I think this will probably be his easiest fight in the UFC. That's not to say it'll be easy, you know, in general. But, uh, yeah, he's going to have a slight reach advantage on uh, Matt Frivola. And I think Matt Frivola was a college wrestler, I want to say. So, uh, I don't know, man. He gets outstruck real fucking bad, man. Real bad. He lands 4.69 significant strikes per minute, but he absorbs 6.44. I have never seen... I've never seen it that high. Now, he isn't, he's not been in the UFC for you know, a decade, but he has four fights in the UFC and he takes that much damage. Dude, I don't think, I don't think he's going to last. I don't think he's going to last. I think he's probably going to get knocked out. So, you know, Frivola is, is a grappler. We'll see what happens, but I, I love Armand Sarukian. You know what? Fuck it. Armand Sarukian is the mailman's lock of the week. And, you know, he's kind of my lock my lock of the decade to become a champion you know at least at least as like a hot sports take you know i'm not just taking someone like oh my lock my lock to be a champion is gilbert burns okay well his next fight is a title fight so you know either he's gonna be it or he's not but he's right there you know sarukian still got all that work ahead of him but uh yeah i i, I don't know man i love that guy all right we're moving on here to the main card uh opener and that is about here between Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Hibas. Rodriguez is 12-1-2. Hibas is 10-0. Uh, we'll take a look here at the odds. They will have Hibas as a pretty big favorite here, minus 325. Uh, we'll look at the rankings here for North Star Sports. And they will have, what is this, 115? Uh, they will have Rodriguez at number 9. And Hebus actually at number 11 at 125. So this fight is taking place at straw weight. Um, I don't know. You know, if you can make if you can make the weight. So I guess I'm talking about Hebus here because she's fought at 125 and Rodriguez is a straw weight. You know, if you can make the weight, then that's fine. But I think the I think the 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 path to a title is a lot easier at 125 than at 115. I think 115 is more shallow when you look at like 10 to 15. But I don't know, man. You look at the top, like you still have Joanna Tatiana's kind of the X factor. You got Rose. So I I think it's it's I don't want to say stacked because it's you know three fighters. But I think there are three really. Ill- well, I don't want to say elite either, but three really good fighters at the top of that division. There's only one good fighter in the flyweight division, and it's Shevchenko. So, you know, I don't know. I would I would have liked to have seen Hibas stay at 125, but I'm not mad at the at the matchup here. Uh, I do think it should be a little bit closer because I think Rodriguez 
is is going to be a tough test for her. She's obviously a really good kickboxer, and she has two two draws on her record um, during her time in the UFC. So she's someone that has always gone to a decision in the UFC. And what those, maybe I'm looking into it too much, but what those draws tell me is that she's perfectly content being patient and just taking it to a decision and not trying to, you know, go balls to the fucking wall and, and just, you know, flatline somebody. So I don't know. I, I think I think it's going to be a little tough for her to, to look good in this fight. Now, the problem for Rodriguez is in her last fight, which was a split decision loss to Carla Esparza, which... I remember disagreeing with again. You know what? Fuck it. We're going back to MMA decisions here, because I, I remember disagreeing with with that one. Um, curious to see what the media has to say about that. But um, either way, Carla Esparza was taking her down kind of at will, so that is concerning. Because if you go to the ground with uh, Hebas, she'll probably choke you out. Um, Esparza could choke you out, but obviously it didn't happen. Um, yeah, the majority of it was actually pretty mixed, but more people thought Rodriguez won than Esparza. So I don't know if you get taken down by. I guess that's why it's a minus three twenty-five favorite um, for Hebas. But I, I think Hebas will be a title challenger sooner than later. Uh, she she stays pretty active, so maybe within the next you know calendar year, I, it would really depend which division. I, I really think she could press press the, the the matter at 125 but 115 hey it might take some time she is five foot three so 115 is probably the correct uh division for her but uh, I, I think this will be a high level fight and uh yeah i, I don't know man i i've been really impressed with with amanda hebas uh i did get to see her i think i saw her ufc debut i did at the infamous ufc minneapolis card so I've I've saw her, I've I've been aware of Amanda Hebas since day one, since day one when she choked out uh, Emily Whitmire. So you know now we're uh, we're three wins later. So I mean, and I don't know. Like honestly, you look at a lot of these female fighters and the divisions are not super stacked. So like you're like, okay, like you're on a four fight winning streak, but it's against absolutely nobody. But Hebas actually has a fairly impressive streak going here considering she's not super high in the rankings like she beat Mackenzie Dern okay well everybody loves Mackenzie Dern misses you know fake accent she beat Randa Marcos who has been in the rankings for a, a you know a good while and then choked out Paige Van Zant, who you know is a Instagram model but you know those are pre three um very high profile victories so um I don't know I don't know Rodriguez did survive on the ground a little bit, but I'm going to say Hebas chokes her out. I think I think Hebas probably chokes her out. Would not surprise me at all if it went to a decision. And the thing, this could be the fight that fucks me because it is on the main card. Okay, I'm terrible at picking female fights on the main card. It's It's been why I've lost so many times. Um, but I think Hebas probably has the potential to get a submission, and I don't... You know, when I'm making picks, I don't say that just flippantly because I usually just default to a decision. All right, moving on here, we have a middleweight fight between Andrew Alderte Sanchez and Mahmoud Muradov. Sanchez is 12 and 5. Muradov is 24 and 6. Uh, we'll look at the odds here. They will have Muradov as the minus 145 favorite. Um, 
yeah, this sh- this should be a good fight. Uh, Andrew Andrew Sanchez, I think he's a he's a tough fighter. He's well rounded. Uh, he definitely has has shown that he had some power in his last fight against Wellington Terman, uh, knocking him out. And uh, you know, again, I just need more consistency from this guy. Uh, a win over uh, the power bar, Mark Andre Barrio, uh, very bad fighter. Marcus Perez, okay fighter. Uh, but I don't know. I, th- I think he's kind of turned a corner. He did have a recent loss to Marvin Vittori. Can't really fault him for that. But, uh, you know, this guy won the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, his record is... Uh, it's not spotless. It is spot full. He has a spot full record. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, this this could be a, a fight of the night. I think these guys are, are pretty well uh, matched up. And, and Muradov, that's the... Um, that's the Mayweather fighter. That's the, the the first MMA fighter to get signed by uh, Floyd Mayweather, I believe. So uh, he is from uh, Uzbekistan. He's fighting out of the Czech Republic. So, you know, he's Mr. Worldwide. He's Mr. Worldwide. But uh, he, he's on uh, quite the quite the winning streak here, I believe. Well, 11, 24. He's, he's on a 13-fight winning streak, so... You know, he, some might say he has a, a lot of momentum. He won his UFC debut against Alessio DiCirico and then knocked out Trevor Smith. Um, I, I am going to go with Muradov on this one. I, I, I think uh, I'm going to go with the unknown. I think we kind of know what Andrew, Andrew Sanchez is, even though, like I said, he's kind of um, he's kind of morphing into uh, to a, a good fighter. Um, but, uh, oh, and now it says Muradov is from Tajikistan. So, I mean, this guy really is Mr. Worldwide. Um, everything's pretty much equal height, weight. Well, obviously, obviously fucking weight, but reach. Um, but I don't know. Muradov likes to knock people the fuck out. And uh, I don't know, man. Uh, Sanchez has been knocked out twice in his UFC career. So, uh, you know, th- these were back in 2017 and I think the early parts of 2018. But, uh, yeah, we'll go with uh, Mahmoud Muradov. And... Um, Shoot, I don't know. You know what? I'll go by knockout. I will go by knockout. All right, moving on to the featured bout uh, on the main card. It's going to be a fight between Jessica I and Joanne Calderwood uh, at 125. I is 15 and 8. Calderwood is 14 and 5. Uh, the odds are going to have Calderwood as the minus 120 favorite. I as the minus 110 favorite. Don't know what the fuck that means, man. I, I just really don't. Um, we'll take a look here at the rankings here. I want to say they're right next to each other. So uh, we have Jessica I as the number six flyweight and Calderwood as the number eight flyweight. Um... I don't know. This is not a good. This is not a good fight. It's probably a fight that has to happen. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people were talking about Calderwood getting a title shot, and if she was promised one, uh, you know, six months ago, because then she took the fight and lost. But it, you know, if she was promised one, then okay, then I guess she was going to get it. But Joanne Calderwood did not deserve a, a, a title shot. So uh, I don't think Joanne Calderwood's that good of a fighter either. Uh, I don't. I don't really think Jessica Eyes that good of a fighter either, and she's kind of being exposed as that. Um, but yeah, this one should be interesting. I mean, it's it's going to be pretty evenly matched. I am going to go with Jessica I though. Um, I, I I do like her her resume at 125, and and, and certainly her her UFC record is going to be very skewed by her uh, 
unsuccessful stint at uh, 135. But um, yeah, no, I and I think she still has it a little bit because she did uh, on the UFC 245 card beat Viviani Araujo, and and you know we saw the performance that she put on on Wednesday. Um, I disagree with the the win over Caitlin Chukagian, but um, the fact that it was that close anyway, you know, means she was competitive. But, uh, you know, you lose to Shevchenko. I'm not really going to fault you for that one. I am going to fault you for losing to Cynthia Calvillo, though. Um, Although, I mean, it was a new weight class. So, you know, maybe maybe Calvillo is just a fucking world beater at 125. But, um, you know, I I look at Joanne Calderwood and I I just see someone who's who's worked their way up into the rankings just because of, uh, you know, easy matchups. Honestly, Joanne Calderwood doesn't have a good win in the UFC like over a highly ranked opponent she just kind of worked her way up because she wins a little bit more than she loses still loses a ton in the UFC but uh, like you know what I mean just looking at looking at her career I mean a, a loss to Marina Morose, a win over Casey and Valerie, Valerie Letourneau okay a loss to Jessica Andrade and Calvillo a win to a win over Calindria Feria who does not have a win in the UFC a win over newcomer Ariane Lipsky a loss to Chukagian, good fighter, a split decision win over Andrea Lee, and then an armbar loss to Jennifer Maya. So she she has beaten people in the rankings, but they're just other people who don't deserve to be ranked just because flyweight is so shallow. So I, I, I think Calderwood is extremely overrated, and uh, I, I don't think she's going to have success against Jessica I. Um, I, I do like I do like her striking, uh, but I think if this goes to the ground, that's uh, probably less than ideal for uh, Joanne Calderwood. But, uh, you know, I guess Jessica I is a boxer, too. So I suppose we'll see how that goes. Calderwood does not have good defense, does not have good defense. One of the lowest significant strike defenses I've I've ever seen um, from a UFC fighter. So uh, I don't know. I'll be, I'll be curious to see how that goes. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Joanne Calderwood wins. But uh, I'm going to go Jessica I by decision on this one. All right, we're moving on to the co-main event of the evening. It's going to be a lightweight bout here between Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler. Hooker is 20-9, and Chandler is 21-5. and Take a look here at the odds. They're going to have Dan Hooker as the minus-135 favorite. And we'll take a look here at the rankings. Obviously, uh, Chandler making his debut, so he's not in the rankings. And Dan Hooker is sitting there at number six. Uh, This... This could be fight of the night. This could be fight of the night very easily. Uh, obviously, uh, Dan Hooker's been in two consecutive wars uh, in the UFC, and uh, Chandler's a tough son of a bitch as well, and he he kind of fits the prototype for uh, a successful UFC fighter. I mean, a guy who has a wrestling background, so a very good wrestler, but he also has a piston of a right hand. So I think, I think Chandler... Is a good striker. I'd still give the advantage to Dan Hooker because he's a fucking kickboxer. But I, you know, man, that was that was why Tyron Woodley had so much success. So that was why, uh, you know, a, a lot of fighters. Maybe maybe it's changed. Maybe it's changing a little bit. But for the longest time, man, if you're just a wrestler with some power and, and you know, capable striking, you know, that's going to take you a long ways uh, in the UFC. Now he's basically already at the top here, fighting someone who's you know a top six fighter. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a, a great fight. Uh, I am going to pick Michael Chandler, uh, the, my, my fellow uh, Mizzou guy. I am going to go with Michael Chandler, but I'm going to tell you, this is going to be a very tough, very close fight. 
Uh, I, I don't think it'll be easy for Michael Chandler, and I do think it'll be a war. I don't, I don't think uh, Chandler is just going to go out there and, and submit him or, or ground and pound him. Uh, Dan Hooker, pretty fucking good off his back. He's not, he's not a slouch on the ground, and, and he's improved leaps and bounds. Uh, you know, just moving up to 155. I mean, he's a completely different fighter. Um, you know, so I, I think he's in the right weight class. He's going to be significantly taller than Chandler, because uh, he is six foot. He's, he's six feet tall. Chandler is five foot eight, and he's going to have a three and a half inch reach advantage. And his legs are are five inches longer than than Chandler's. So I don't know, man. That's going to be tough for Chandler, and I think it's it's only gonna uh, it's only gonna amplify Chandler's game plan of trying to take him down because he's got he's going to have to close the distance even if he wants to strike against Dan Hooker. So if you're going to close the distance, it's probably smarter just to take him down than to stand than to close the distance distance and strike with this guy. But the problem with that is Dan Hooker is so fucking dangerous with his knees. He's so tall at 155, and that was what happened with Jim Miller. He can knee you in the head just standing. He doesn't even have to push your head down or anything. That guy has super long legs, super high knees. You know what I mean? Chandler could just stand there, and he could knee him in the head. His elbows are really good. Hooker's a very, very dangerous fighter. Um, And... uh, Let's see, what's his takedown defense? Yeah, and his takedown defense is 77%, which is fucking insane. I'm talking, I'm slowly talking myself into picking Dan Hooker. Uh, but yeah, 77% takedown defense, which is pretty fucking good, man. Pretty good. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Chandler is in for a very tough, tough time. I think Chandler does have some intangibles that Dan Hooker doesn't have. Uh, and, and he's got more experience. And the, the, the weird thing for Dan Hooker, excuse me, is that he gets outstruck with his significant strike. So he lands 4.3 per minute and absorbs 5.1. So that is not a good strategy. Not that he willingly chooses that, but that's not that's that's not good against Chandler because Chandler does have one punch KO powered. I don't think anybody thinks you know. Oh, Michael Chandler is a fucking extreme knockout artist but you know he definitely has you know put some people to sleep uh over in over in bellator i mean that that knockout of uh patchy uh or uh, patricky pitbull dude that's one of the best knockouts in bellator history he just fucking slumped him absolutely slumped him so i don't know man i i, I love this match we're really gonna find out if chandler can sink or swim and uh, I don't know, man. This is real close. I could see myself picking either, but like I said, I, I'm gonna go with Chandler uh, with the wrestling, the intangibles, and uh, I don't know, man. I, I I think he wins by decision. I think he wins by a close decision fight, maybe even split decision. I, I could see that being uh, how it goes. I mean, Dan Hooker. That I, now, by the way, I think he lost to Paul Felder. Okay, I think Paul Felder won that fight, um, but. Yeah, if if Paul Felder and Dustin Poirier can't finish Dan Hooker, not that Chandler's not just as good as those fighters potentially, but man, I just find, I, it's I can't see Dan Hooker getting finished. I could see him getting beaten up. I could see him getting beaten up, but he's so awkward on the ground too because he's so tall. He can just you know use angles and and you know do weird shit that you know the five foot seven person couldn't do against Michael Chandler. So uh, yeah. I'm going to go with Michael Chandler on this one.
Alright, we're moving on here to the main event of the evening. It's a lightweight bout here between Dustin the Diamond Poirier and Conor McGregor. Poirier is 26 and 6. McGregor is 22 and 4. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds here. They are going to have Conor McGregor as the minus 325 favorite. And we'll take a look at the North Star Sports rankings. Poirier comes in at number two, McGregor at number five. Uh, yeah, and uh, fuck it, man. This is a reason we're all here. The return of uh, Conor McGregor. You know, I know he had that fight against Cowboy Cerrone. Nobody gave a fuck about that. I would question the validity of that fight, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I'll let other people, you know, get more into conspiracies than me. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, this this is his right weight class. This is where he can he can do something. I I, I think this is going to be a good fight, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely riding with Conor McGregor on this one. Um, you know, I would say... <clears throat> You got to respect Dustin Poirier. Uh, I don't think it'll be easy. I'm, I, I, I definitely don't think it's going to be a 60-second knockout for McGregor. I would I would be pretty fucking surprised if he finished him in uh, under a minute. Um, I think it's more likely that, that uh, McGregor just kind of picks him apart. I, I think he is the superior striker. And then on the ground, I know a lot of people make a big, di- big deal about uh, number one, McGregor's cardio, and then his ability on the ground. I don't know, man. What are we really basing that on? Like, the Diaz fight was fucking almost five years ago. And then, now I understand he hasn't been very active in these last five years, all things considered. And then, you know, getting smashed by Khabib. Well, Poirier got smashed by Khabib, so are we going to question his ground game here against McGregor? I think it's probably... I think their ground game is, is is probably closer than the gap between their striking, and I wouldn't obviously wouldn't classify either of these fighters as a ground fighter, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it is an unknown, so so it's kind of fair to question it. But I don't know, man. I don't I don't I don't think cardio will be an issue because the fight's at, at lightweight and he's been training for this weight, and uh, I I don't think the ground is going to be an issue. I don't I honestly don't think this fight goes to the ground anyways. So I, I kind of see it as as largely irrelevant. Um, of course, this is you know mixed martial arts, so it could happen. But I, I do think that's a little uh, overrated of a talking point here. So really, it just comes down to striking, and I think McGregor's the better striker. He's definitely going to win the power differential uh, in in this one. I think it's pretty fair that he's a minus three twenty five favorite. But again, I, I wouldn't count out count out Dustin Poirier. I think he's a dog, and um, I'm a little unsure of the path to victory for Dustin Poirier. Of course, it goes without saying anything could happen. He, you know, Poirier hits a fucking flying triangle on Conor McGregor. You know, obviously these guys are very capable in every aspect of the game. But I don't know, because I see a lot of people oversimplifying it, being like, well, if Conor's going to win this fight, it's going to be by knocking out Poirier early on. And and if Poirier is going to win, it's because he wins a long decision. Yeah, I don't know, man. I could also see Poirier just beating the shit out of, of Dustin, or I could see Conor McGregor beating the shit out of Dustin Poirier for 25 minutes, not getting the finish, but still winning a decision. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's as easy and as binary as those two choices. But I, I do think the longer the fight goes, the longer the fight goes, I would say it probably favors Dustin Poirier because I, I think it would be safe to say, I don't. I don't see Poirier coming out and knocking out McGregor in in round number one or round number two just because, 
you know, Poirier's not really known as a guy who finishes fights super early, and McGregor's also been never knocked out. So I think I think that is a legitimate talking point. Like, okay, well, Connor's a very good striker and never been knocked out. So I I I, I think. His winning percentage goes up as the fight goes on. Me sitting right now, the day before, looking at it, if we had to look at a graph, but I think it's, you know, I don't know, man. Poirier's tough. He's been in a couple of wars, so, uh, you know, I, I think I think that'll be interesting. It's just, I don't know, man. I, 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 don't, I don't really see Poirier winning this fight. I, I think McGregor, uh, I, I, think it'll, I think honestly, the, if it does go to a finish, which... I am predicting a finish. I think McGregor will finish him. I don't think it goes to a decision. But I, I think it plays out kind of like it did the first fight. I, I think he tags Poirier, gets hurt, and uh, finishes him. I don't think it's a, a KO. I think it's probably a TKO. Although, I mean, you know, real possibility. I mean, it could be a KO, but I don't believe Poirier's been KO'd. Definitely been TKO'd before. So, yeah, I, I think probably just knocks him down, jumps on top of him, finishes the fight, but the difference between the first fight and the second fight, other than, you know, both of these fighters having a million times more experience, is I think the fight will go longer. I don't I don't think it'll be a finish in round one. I don't think it'll get finished in round two. I think th- rounds three and four, rounds three and four, I, I, I think is probably where McGregor gets it done. I think he probably TKOs him. We'll go... We'll go round four. We'll give Poirier some some respect. I, I think I think it does go pretty far. It's just I don't know, man. We have seen we have seen Poirier just kind of run out of run out of gas in that Khabib fight, and obviously stylistically it's going to be night and day. But I think instead of drowning on the ground, he, he you know he might drown standing up in in this one. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I like I like this new positive Connor. I I you know if I could pick a fighter to win. I'd, I'd, I'd be rooting for Poirier. I just think the reality is McGregor is going to win uh, this one. And then the fu- the real fun begins. You know, figuring out, hey, uh, are we, are we going to fight Khabib? What, you know, what's going on here? What's going on here? And, you know, Khabib saying, well, I'll fight somebody next, but they have to win in impressive fashion. So, uh, you know, if McGregor wins by fourth round TKO, that's it's impressive by nature because you beat a very tough fighter in Poirier, but I don't think that's the impressive Khabib's looking for. And uh, if McGregor wins, it's going to be McGregor and Khabib or Khabib and nothing. Because if if McGregor loses, well then potentially a rematch with Poirier if he wins in, a, in impressive fashion, or maybe Chandler knocks out Hooker in fucking 12 seconds and that's the fight. Or maybe Hooker you know, dominates Chandler and, and now Hooker's the fight, or maybe it's Charlie Oliveira. But I think if Conor McGregor wins, I think the UFC is not going to allow Khabib to fight anybody other than Conor. So it would just come down to whether or not Khabib wants to fight again. I would say he, I would say if Conor wins, he's not going to fight again. I don't think Khabib will come back to fight Conor uh, a second time. Not because he's scared. He would fucking smash Connor a second time. It's just I don't think that excites him. I don't think he wants to share the octagon with someone who he hates. So, you know, I, I think if I think if Connor wins, Khabib just retires. I, I I think that's the end of it. But you know, either way, there's going to be a million lightweight storylines uh, following the conclusion of 257. So you know, it's 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 a fun time, and you know that 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 division is becoming a little bit more shallow, especially if Khabib you know, walks away, but it's still got a lot of interesting fighters, 
uh, and, and stuff to figure out. And I think it becomes a lot more interesting if Khabib retires. Well, who, who do we put next? <laughs> you know what I mean? If Connor, if Connor wins, I think the winner of Poirier and McGregor uh, is automatically um, one half of the title equation. But who's the other half? Is it is it the winner of Hooker and Chandler? Is it Charlie Olives? Is is old Charlie Olives the the other half of that? What about Justin Gaethje? Yeah, he lost to Khabib, but everybody here lost to Khabib. I mean, Poirier lost to Khabib. McGregor lost to Khabib. You know what I mean? All these people lost to Khabib. So how are you going to knock Gaethje for having the same damn thing the rest of these people have? You know, he's been murdering people on his way to the top. Honestly, I would have I would have the winner of Poirier and McGregor take on um, Justin Gaethje for the undisputed belt, assuming Khabib retires, obviously. But I'm, I'm honestly a little surprised that there's not an interim belt on this fight between Poirier and McGregor, you know how the UFC loves to just slap on interim belts like they're fucking nothing and just devalue the 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 worth of you know their undisputed belts. But um, so I'm surprised it's not. I don't think they had to, and I'm glad they didn't. But I'm I'm a little surprised they didn't. So with that, we have completed our preview of UFC 257. Uh, so yeah, we'll have the uh, the recap show probably on Sunday, maybe Monday. Who knows? Uh, we got the main card showdown again uh, tomorrow. It's going to be me and Steve for the gold, Drew and Captain for the bronze. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun stuff going on. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN, North Star Sports at North Star MIN, and check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.